one of the things about entrepreneurship, there is no reward without the risk. Every great entrepreneur had help. And where is that help going to come from? It's going to come from that social network. You don't have to be smarter than everybody else to make money doing asset allocation and save. I think there's a danger when you're in business to find arrogance, and especially if you're doing really well. At the end of the day, I ain't nothing special. I'm just a guy. What has value? Well, what has value is whatever people say has value. I'm going to get better and better and better at what I do as I get older. So the best me is going to be the me right before I die. Hey, family, welcome back to the Marketplace Podcast. I'm your host, Priest Willis. And today is episode number 123, and I have a very special guest. I'm joined with Angela Grayson, who is principal member and founder of Precipice IP, PLLC. Precipice is a consultancy and intellectual property law boutique specializing in patent, trademark, copyright, and data law. Prior to founding Precipice, Angela was Associate General Counsel intellectual property and pet operations lead at Walmart stores. And prior to joining Walmart stores, she had previous experience in in-house patent counsel for several Fortune 100 companies, as well as prior experience in the examining corps for the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Angela and I had such a great conversation. She has just a great spirit for explaining law. Sometimes you think, you meet lawyers and they're so cut and dry. I mean, Angela explains every detail on how to get your business to a trademark, how to protect your intellectual property, whether you're developing an app, you have art. I know many of you are creators out there. This is the podcast for you. If you want to protect your business, let's both sit back, take a listen to the interview. Without further ado, here's Angela Grayson. Hey, Angela, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah, me too. Excited to have you on. You know, I've been looking, I've had my own personal lawyer on, but we haven't had someone to delve into kind of IP trademarks. And you essentially have a really interesting journey into how you've gotten to the space, how you've gotten into law. And so this is why I'm happy to have you on and happy to talk about that journey so before we get into all of it, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I am a technology lawyer originally from Mississippi. Uh, I still claim that I'm a Mississippian, even though it's been several years since I lived there. But I am a chemist by training. Uh, I have a master's degree in quantum chemistry. And I went on after I finished my uh, master's in chemistry to go to law school at the University of Mississippi. So when I started into this area, I really didn't know that I wanted to be a technology lawyer or patent attorney or really anything about intellectual property. I was actually a student at, at in graduate school when the Black Law Students Association had Johnny Cochran on campus for one of their dinners. The organization is called Balsa. And, you know, I would go to kind of a lot of events at the University of Mississippi. And I remember going to see Johnny Cochran and was absolutely mesmerized by the man. I was mesmerized by his ability to communicate. And also I was mesmerized by his purpose. You know, he really had a strong purpose. 
And uh, I remember going back thinking, you know, wow, I wonder if that's something that I could do. Um, so when I finished up my, I was close to finishing up my master's and I wasn't sure if I was going to continue on uh, to get a PhD or what I was going to do. But I thought, wow, I wonder if I could get into law school. And unlike a lot of people, you know, being an attorney was not something that I dreamed about since birth. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I was very much uh, a young kid that truthfully didn't really want to get a job and just really enjoyed learning and going to school and all the challenges that being in a higher educational environment uh, provided. And, uh, you know, my decision to go to law school was really no different. So I was curious about whether I could get in and I got in. Uh, I was unsure about what I was going to do with it. But as I got into the curriculum at the at the law school, I sort of found my purpose. Mm. You know, whenever I tell people that I am a, a patent attorney or a technology lawyer or, I, you know, I tell them my background and they don't understand why science and the law actually go together. But for me, it is something that I feel really blessed to have found. And so that's sort of how I got my first uh, sort of toe into even thinking about being an attorney. It was really seeing Johnny Cochran. Wow. Have you ever had a chance or did you, before you passed, ever get a chance to say what he's meant to your career direction? Or have you ever tried to reach out to him or something along those lines? You know, I've thought about it. I thought about it, I should say. Uh, I definitely followed the um, the uh, the O.J. Simpson mm -hmm. trials, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the time. And, uh, you know, I followed his, you know, big litigations. But no, I, I'd never really reached out to him. I just sort of secretly thanked him every time there was uh, any mention of him in the news. Thanked him for, you know, putting me on my career path, even though he had no idea what influence he had. There must have been, I, you know, I, I'm hearing this story from you. There must have been something, you know, because I know Johnny Cochran has his own charisma. I mean, you could see it in the courtroom. The man knew the law. You know, if somebody wants to argue loopholes or whatever it is, no matter what you say, he knew he knew what to find for what what was needed. But how did that translate to you being kind of a younger student or or getting through and trying to find your purpose? What was it really that came off of him that spoke to you so loudly that you you almost changed a career path, essentially? You know, I think it may have been the first time that I actually saw someone exemplifying passion for what they do. Mm. So I never you know, I, I really admire civil rights attorneys. I admire people who are great at what they do, no matter uh, what their profession is. Uh, I remember listening to just great music when I was in, in graduate school. And strangely enough, you know, listening to uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, over and over again, or listening to Prince play his guitar over and over again, just helped me reach down and find excellence in myself. Mm. And I know that that might sound very strange to people. But being around people who are always striving for excellence is such an addictive thing. And I think that for what, you know, what I saw in him was really passion. And I don't know that, you know, for my love of science, and I absolutely love it, my love of chemistry, and I absolutely love it. I don't know that I really saw anybody exhibit the passion that he exhibited for what he did mm. and for why he did it. 
And I think that is the thing that really resonated the most for me. It's interesting. I, you know, I've not really thought about this in a lot of years, Mm -hmm. but that was definitely the moment for me. You know, the reason why I find it interesting is because when I hear about people on their journey, their career path, and you listen to the, the people that have changed their life, you always wonder what was it that attracted you to it, right? I mean, there's always, I mean, again, there's, you know, there's one thing when people are dressed a certain way or they say that they have a certain tone, but as you pointed out, there's kind of some intangible things. Like there's a passion that comes off of people that you can't, you can't touch it. You almost can't explain it, but you can see the love of something in somebody so much so that it makes you fall in love with it. And, um, that's that, right. That's a great way to describe yeah, it. Yeah. So that's, that's really meaningful to hear from me because, you know, all of us, including yourself today, you are doing things in your mind that you're just going about life just as you normally do. Just you're in your business, you're creating things, you're helping other companies out. But along the way, it's impacting somebody else. And you may not know what that thing is until they either tell you or they end up telling someone else, look, Angela Grayson changed my life forever because she did this. And you're like, wow, I just I just showed up at an event to speak to the kids or whatever the case is. I, you know, that, that that's kind of interesting to hear to me. It's it's how people leave a legacy. Sometimes it's by accident. I think I would completely agree with that. You know, I am asked to speak from time to time on my personal journey or sort of, you know, legal things. But it's often when I'm asked to speak on my personal journey, I think to myself, you know, why would anybody care to hear this? Mm. And I am always amazed at the end of that conversation, the people who come up to me and say, wow, what an inspiring story. I never really thought that I could, you know, whatever it was, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And so I don't underestimate how inspiring we can all be for each other because we all have an interesting story to tell. And you're right. It may not seem so interesting to us at the time, you know, our own story. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I no longer take for granted the impact that we can have on each other. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And I, I feel the exact same. And I'm getting better at that personally, year over year about underestimating kind of the impact that I've had on other people. I mean, you know, we, we have a lot to bring here. So let, let me ask you a question. I read somewhere that you said being an entrepreneur must be a gene in your family. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Can you talk about, you know, what, what that gene is or what did you see around you while you were growing up or with your family that you just saw a, a sense of entrepreneurship? Maybe they weren't entrepreneurs, but they had that thing, if you will. Yeah. So I, I, I would say that that is definitely uh, a true statement. So I would verify that that statement is accurate, that I said that. <laughs> so I, I grew up with my grandparents. My grandparents raised me literally from a baby in Mississippi. I actually grew up on a real plantation in the South. For people who don't know, plantations still do exist. Yes, they do. And uh, my grandparents lived on a plantation uh, because my grandfather worked as a farmer on one of the plantations. And back then, you could live on the plantation, maybe rent free, if you if you worked for the landowner. And so we're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acre right? We're talking about huge plantations here. So So your grandfather was the first Airbnb, basically. (laughs) 
<laughs> I guess you could look at it that way. But, but, but my grandparents definitely, uh, you know, we were in a house uh, literally surrounded by cotton in the Delta in Mississippi. And I would see him get up in the morning, you know, before the sun came up, he would come home when the sun went down during the during the season. And um, I would also see him on Saturday morning go to the shop. So he was a barber. My my grandfather is still among us. You know, he's still living. My grandmother, unfortunately, passed away in um, like in the 90s, 99. But uh, he still has his barber's license and his license wow. is actually older than I am. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I'll be 47 later this month. So, you know, he has had a side hustle for over 50 years. So I I got up, you know, every morning and I would see my dad go to go to work. I would see him on the weekends, quote unquote, trim hair is is what he'd call it. And uh, when I was a kid, he would pay me to sweep up his shop. You know, he would give me a little bit of an allowance. And I was responsible for at the end of the end of the day on Saturday, uh, sweeping up the barbershop. And occasionally I would uh, there was a tree, a tall tree by by his shop. And I would climb that tree and I would look in and try and listen to grown folks conversation. <laughs> now, for anybody who you know is familiar with the beauty shop, I will tell you that a barber shop has got nothing on the gossip that occurs. <laughs> that occurs. I, so, of course, I wasn't really allowed to sit in there, with, you know, with grown people talking. And my dad had some. um I think it was Ebony. Choice words. Well, he had some choice words, oh. but he also had some choice pictures on the wall. So back in the old days. Oh, yeah. I, I that's Jet that's that's Beauty of the that's Week. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Every, <laughs> everybody knows that. <laughs> so he would have these, you know, calendars and these pictures with these Jet Beauties of the Week. And they would be sort of obviously designed to entice his customers to stay and linger and so I wasn't really allowed to hang out in there because I was too young to be looking at these pictures. And I was too young to listen mm-hmm. to this conversation. So I would climb the tree and I would kind of look in. And uh, and so, you know, I saw him on his side hustle every week. He he was on his grind. And that stuck. See, the, you know? the young the young whippersnappers don't even know that your grandfather or there was an Airbnb before there was an Airbnb <laughs> and there was people already side hustling before right. this became a thing. That's right. That's exactly right. I can, I can see how that would impact you. I mean, that you talk about a legacy, your grandfather getting into that and still living today and having a barber's license That's older right. than you is a serious testimony. That's right. So, you know, his his trimming hair for the last 50 plus years, it, I just couldn't shake that. I couldn't shake probably wanting to be like him. You know, my dad is definitely my hero. Uh, so that's kind of where it, where it all started for me. That's awesome. So all of that culminates to today. So you're what you would call a technology attorney and you're helping companies protect their products, brands, different designs. So let let's first, you know, dive into a little bit on, you know, what kind of companies do you work with today to give us a concept of how that looks? So the companies I work with really are what I call side tech companies. So they are science and technology uh, startups for the most part. 
My experience has been in working for large organizations. I started out as a patent examiner at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Uh, I worked as a as a uh, in-house attorney for Pfizer when I first got out of law, when I first got out of the Patent and Trademark Office. As a, that was actually my first attorney job. And then I worked for Eli Lilly as a patent attorney, and I helped manage um, the patent portfolio of a very large, couple of very large brands. And uh, from there, I was an in-house intellectual property attorney for a company called DuPont. And then from there, I was an in-house attorney for a small company called Walmart here in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that little tiny that, startup? That, yeah, that tiny startup. And so I've always been around like hardcore science and hardcore business strategy, right? Utilizing science. And so when I decided to start my own practice, I think I, I said to myself, you know, where would I be the strongest player? And I would be the strongest player working with science and technology startups, looking to, you know, acquire investors, looking to eventually sell their company one day. So it's really those companies that I feel like are probably the best fit for what I bring to the table. Well, that's smart. I mean, that that's your background one, but that's where the economy is moving towards. Um, and that's not a slight on kind of more industrious companies, manufacturing, stuff like that. But I, I think that's really smart to take that approach. A lot of us are trying to find an advantage in business. We're trying to build more content. Some of us use blogs, social media sites. One avenue that's being used even more today is writing ebooks. There are people like myself who are out there writing ebooks, putting them out on Amazon. And I found a pretty cool tool called KDP Rocket that helps with book marketing research. This is a tool to help find best-selling book ideas, profitable niches, and rank better in Amazon and select Kindle keywords. So get your book notice on Amazon by using KDP Rocket and share your results with me. Look in today's show notes, click on the link, and get started. It's an inexpensive program, less than $100, and it's small investment towards trying to build out different books that you're writing and promoting on Amazon. Again, pick up KDP Rocket, click on the link in today's show notes, and share your success. Now back to the show. So for, for someone like myself who doesn't fully understand the landscape, I think I understand it, you know, on surface about the difference between trademark and how to protect intellectual property and all that stuff. But I'm sure, obviously, you have mounds of stuff that I may not know. How, how does that apply to someone today, like a creator, someone who has content out there? I don't know, YouTubers, people of that nature. So let's take it one step at a time. First of all, what what is a trademark? So a trademark is really a, a brand and essentially it is essentially your identity in the marketplace that lets customers know who is selling that product or service. So if you, uh, so for example, Precipice is supposed to stand in place for technology law firm. So that's mm -hmm. essentially what a trademark is supposed to do. It's supposed to be a word or symbol that identifies a product or service. It's Got as it. simple as that. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. And how does that differ from IP or intellectual property? 
So a trademark is a form of intellectual property. And, you know, one of the reasons I, when I first started my business, I would start out telling people that I was a patent attorney and I was a trademark lawyer and I was an intellectual property attorney. And people would literally look at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And then I decided, well, instead of talking about the law, why don't I describe what I do in terms of what they do? And essentially, when you have a brand, you can protect that brand with a trademark. If you have Mm -hmm. a product, you can potentially protect that product with a patent. If you have designs or creative like videos or a website, you can potentially protect that creative with a copyright registration. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the difference with all of that. Got it. And what would be the difference, Angela, by me going to the Secretary of State and trying to sign up for the trademark versus hiring someone like you or someone that can help me keep all of my IP stuff together? What would be how how much more helpful is it to have a lawyer rather than somebody trying to go at it themselves? Well, the one thing that I I think a, a good lawyer will do is they will see hopefully the bigger picture. So sometimes people can be a little bit myopic in what they're trying to do. Mm. And so, you know, it's nice to have somebody who can see the bigger picture, who understand the different options, um, and then can help you pick and choose among them. Sometimes people don't realize what options they have uh, because they don't see the bigger picture, right? So sometimes, you know, people will say, well, I need a trademark, so I'm going to go to the Secretary of State in North Carolina and do that. But if you're planning to sell a product throughout the United States, not just North Carolina, then maybe getting a North Carolina trademark might not be the best uh, option for you. Mm, good or point. if or you know, or if you're planning to uh, sell products outside the United States and by the way, a lot of small businesses do exporting to Mexico or exporting to Canada is international trade. Uh, you may also want to look at getting trademark rights outside the United States. So being able to talk with someone who's knowledgeable uh, about, you know, something that's beyond the what you're looking at, looking at it from a different, more strategic way could potentially benefit you in your business. Yeah, that's a really good point, because one one thing that I've always thought of and I don't I wouldn't want to do this by myself, but one thing that I always thought of. The, the legal issues that can come out of stuff that you don't even see down the road. So that's what your point to kind of getting a good lawyer to kind of help you see that down the road. Meaning I'm only thinking about North Carolina and here you just pointed out that what happened if it goes beyond North Carolina, then you, you lose yeah. some of the strength in that. So one of the things I've been thinking about is coming up with an app to help with some of our diversity issues that is happening in San Francisco, hiring diversity issues that we're having. And I'm going to already say what it is because I don't care if anybody takes it, but I'm I'm leading to an example. So this app would essentially, it wouldn't offer you what the gender, what the sex is of the person. And the other thought is maybe not your name, right? Because if somebody has Boom Chica or even Priest for that matter, sometimes hiring managers may be turned off by that for whatever reason. Whereas Angela is a very, very simple in the middle name, essentially. Your your Angela is beautiful. Somebody else's Angela is simple. Let's put it like that. Um, <laughs> but, and, we, and, we, but 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 we were all born in the seventies, so that's why our names are Angela. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I I want to create this app that has a sense to protect people's you know their their identity essentially, so that the hiring managers purely hire them 
only on their their credentials. So what school they went to, maybe grade point average, their experience, whatever it may be, what whatever makes sense. And it doesn't even have to be an app. I was always thinking like, oh, maybe this is something I can sell to LinkedIn. How would you protect something like that? Or if somebody has a new concept, but you kind of have to go out and pitch it in front of people without it being stolen. How would you protect an idea like that? Would you go off and get an IP or, or trademark first? How, how would you typically suggest at least starting? Well, it, it kind of, so, you know, first of all, all babies have names. So assuming that you named your baby, <laughs> we might want to, we might want to look at protecting that brand. Sure. Uh, you know, when, when people launch products uh, and services, the worst thing that can happen is getting traction and then finding out later that someone else has that has a trademark registration mm. on that same or similar or you know name or logo and then you have to almost start all over. So the first thing I would say is is choose a good name and then let's get that protected. Trademark protection in the big scheme of things is not that expensive. And there's been a lot of debate, you know, that I've read about, you know, whether you should pay to get a trademark registration or use an unregistered trademark. Whether you register a trademark or kind of use an use the name as an unregistered trademark, you should always do a search. I think there are a lot of advantages with actually acquiring a US registration. But if money is tight, you should at least do a search to make sure that name is available. And if you're really smart, you will go ahead and get a registration on that. And then depending on the solution itself, right, uh, sometimes apps are developed such that you're developing systems. Uh, you, you have created something that is, you know, making some technological advancement. That might actually be the subject matter of a utility patent. But I will tell you that not all apps fall under patentable subject matter. Mm. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're just sort of moving information around or doing something that's automated that was once done by hand, you're going to have a tough time getting the patent office to think of that as, you know, patentable subject matter. But if you do have a technological innovation in that app, and it really does take a lot of looking at it and doing a little bit of research to really let you know that. But, you know, potentially a, a, a provisional patent filing might be something to think about. Now, you brought up something that was very interesting. You know, when you are pitching people, when you are speaking to angel investors or speaking to VCs or, you know, going out and getting having to raise money, even Kickstarter, you have to think about what would happen if somebody essentially copied your idea. Mm -hmm. And what you want to do is try and protect yourself as much as possible from that. One way to do it is obviously getting, you know, some sort of patent application filed or trademark uh, application on file and, and ultimately registered. But if you've got investors that are willing to do this, and by the way, most of them aren't, you can also get them to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And then you also have contractual rights as well. Uh, and then the other area that you might want to think about is uh, perhaps getting a copyright registration on kind of the layout of your creative. All of those things combined can be very powerful and, and they don't necessarily cost that much. Um, but that is something to think about. I, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I was doing a little bit of research on filing security interests at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office because banks can loan you money 
and you can use your intellectual property as collateral. So uh, if you've got intellectual property that you have filed like a pending patent application or a copyright registration or uh, a trademark, if those things are associated with the business, you can potentially go to a bank and use that as collateral wow. instead of, say, a personal guarantee. So um, it's not just a cost. It can also be a benefit. It could be a very tangible benefit right now, not just down the road. If you take the time to plan and, you know, protect those rights as, as, as they develop in your, in your business. That's amazing. I didn't know that you'd be able to kind of leverage your IP for, as collateral for a bank. That's mm -hmm. kind of a, that's kind of a different spin on things, I guess. I guess the bank will take anything if it's worth it. If you're not, if you're not handling your business right, I guess that makes sense. And and there are certain banks that do it. Uh, I would say that, you know, there are quite a few banks that won't, but there are definitely banks uh, that will, you know, loan you money on that. You have to show that you're diligent and that the intellectual property is is for real. But, you know, it's something that you can leverage as you're continuing to raise money for your business. Yeah, it's companies out there that kind of surprise me on what they do put a patent on. For example, Amazon a few years ago had this one-click patent one click purchase patent basically where which they're notorious for right now where you just hit the one click and you your purchase is is done essentially you know so companies kind of glom themselves on to things that the public is just waiting to take on essentially cuz i'm i'm sure walmart that small company you mentioned other companies all want this one click process essentially yeah and and that really is the subject matter of all intellectual property protection the ip protections that you pursue should be closely related to your competitive advantage mm. that's the whole reason why you would do it you wouldn't just file a trademark just to file it you wouldn't just file a patent just to say you have it you want to file on protections that really give you a competitive advantage that if someone were to copy or you know, essentially assume that it your uh, their idea, their idea was your idea that, you know, it would be hugely detrimental to your organization. So that's why you would bother doing it. And as far as that particular patent, that one click patent, I believe that patent actually, well, first of all, I think the patent is now expired. Mm. Uh, patents have a, a term of uh, 20 years from the effective filing date. And so I think that patent expired a few years ago. But that patent remained in force. And I think that there was some litigation around it, if I'm not mistaken. I think that Barnes & Noble and Amazon ended up tangling over that uh, in the past. And so the patent, I believe, uh, was enforceable up until it expired. Mm -hmm. So it, it can be pretty powerful. Wow, that's that's super powerful. And so wait a minute. So when you have a patent in place like that, it lasts for 20 years, but you can't re-up or you can't, it just goes away? What happened to that? That's a great question, re-up. I never really thought about it that way. You can re-up. <laughs> you can re-up. <laughs> if I can borrow your terminology, you can, you can re-up a trademark uh, every 10 years. And essentially, if you can get a strong trademark, right, and you use it, you can actually keep that trademark indefinitely. Uh, okay. So you continue to pay your you continue to pay essentially your your maintenance fees every uh, ten years after a certain period of time, and you re up that and you if you're using it you can enforce it. 
With a patent, however, you have to be a bit more strategic and the term is for 20 years. And so, you know, it's a monopoly for a limited time. And, you know, the idea is that you, when you file your application, you teach the world how to make and use your invention. It's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting little scenario. Mm -hmm. You teach the world how to make and use your invention, but nobody can use it until it's expired. Right. So it's a bit of a tease. You <laughs> know. A tease. Like, well, look at what I have, but you can't have it until 20 years later. Um, but in 20 years, you know, you can make a lot of money. That Well, yeah. 20 years is, you know, you know. Amazon is Amazon isn't doing that bad right now. They're OK. They're not doing that. Bad. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking about was. Yes, please. <laughs> so Walt Disney, there was a period where there was creative art for all. It was like open patents or something they would call it. And I haven't done the background research on this at all, so don't don't stab me here. But this was like you could put a, a create a mouse or something along those lines and create these different characters in these cartoon things. And these drawings were open for the public. It was called it's called public creations or something along those lines where Walt Disney essentially took those very things and then he would create Mickey Mouse around it and then close the patents on it. Are you familiar with that at all? You know, I'm not familiar with that project, but uh, Walt Disney is, I will say today, I'm not sure about then. the history of that project, but, but I will tell you that Walt Disney today will come after you if you are using their artwork or using their characters For sure. uh, in an unauthorized manner. I'll tell you who has opened their patent portfolios, so to speak, to the public. And I don't know whether it's every patent they ever created or a certain technology, and that's Tesla. A few years back, maybe in 2013 or 2014, they decided that their portfolio was free and available to the public. Whoa. And uh, you, didn't, you didn't necessarily need to pay a license. And that's actually a very interesting use of intellectual property because I don't know all of the rationale behind why someone would do that. Uh, but one one thing is to create ancillary capabilities, right, in the marketplace. Yep. You know, if you don't have a market that's developed, you can say, hey, we've got this technology. Why don't you take a royalty-free license and why don't you do your thing with it, right? Yep. And so, you know, from that, perhaps all sorts of collateral tech has developed, which clearly benefits, which clearly benefits Tesla. So just because you have a patent, you don't necessarily have to go and sue everybody. You can sort of say, hey, here's what I got. Why don't you and I play together in the sand? I'll give you this if you give me that. And so it becomes another bargaining tool to help your company compete and evolve and, you know, on some level, uh, create uh, more for them. Wow. That's more for you. That's really, really good. That's yeah. And I would agree with that, that thought process behind that. Right. I mean, it, it's no different than having open source technology uh, when people are building operating systems, trying to get around windows and other stuff. A lot of times they open up technology, software technology, that is so that other people can build on it because you're somewhat limited when it's just you in a bedroom trying to create this tech. That's yeah, right. Yeah. No, that's. That's, That's right. a great observation. That's really good. Thanks for sharing that. So, look, I don't want to switch these gears as we wrap up here. I don't want to switch these gears to something that I don't feel necessarily comfortable talking about, but I feel like we should. From where you sit at today, Angela, how do you see the landscape of diversity in, within what you do? And here's why I don't want to bring it up. 
First of all, I think we're going to a place where I like to be recognized, although I know that I'm I'm still a minority in my space that I'm in today, e-commerce marketing, stuff like that. I still like to be recognized as a person that's contributing to the space. Ignore the fact of, you know, I'm a black male or a biracial male, however you want to pose it. How do you feel when you look from your position, being an African-American woman, looking at lawyers that I think traditionally have been kind of the good old boy network in some sense? Am I right or wrong? Certainly. So yeah. uh, do you see that landscape changing a little bit? The legal landscape? Yeah. Not not really. You know, and, and it is a little bit unfortunate, uh, but there's all sorts of data that shows uh, diversity is really not improving necessarily in the legal profession. Uh, and I think one of the things that people can do, so you're either working for a company, you're working for a firm, or maybe you're working for yourself. Mm -hmm. If diversity is an issue in working for someone else, whether a company or a law firm, then, you know, if you're not seeing opportunities, if you're not seeing access to clients, if you're not seeing, you know, whatever it is you're looking for because of that constricted environment and it's not improving, I would say take control of your own uh, career and your own future and start your own mm. thing and create your own tribe. And uh, that doesn't mean that you don't necessarily need to, you know, you only work with this person or that person. But one of the things that I have found as freeing is people work with me because they want to. Mm. And I work with them because they want to. And I don't think anyone is working with me necessarily because I'm black or because I'm a woman, people want to work with the best person for the task. Mm. And so people, I think, will see beyond superficial issues like color of skin, gender. You know, they want to work with people they like, and that will have something to do with it. But, you know, my avatar is actually, because I'm in SciTech, my avatar is probably a 30-something-year-old white guy with his hat flipped to the side that's, you know, slaving away in a dark room working on an app. Right. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think that guy is looking to work with, oh, I'm going to find this black patent attorney because, no, they want to work with the best person for the job. So I, I say all that to say this. I don't think that diversity in the legal profession is really improving. And I've been in you know, the legal profession for quite a few years. I think there are a lot of people who are very well intentioned who like to see it improve. But until power shifts in these organizations, it's not probably going to change. And because the system, quote unquote, works to so someone once told me, get out and create your own system. Mm. Get out and look at your own for your own clients. Get out and have a voice for yourself and you can make your own magic. And that's the thing that I tend to focus on, not necessarily that the legal profession is still stuck in the 50s, but that I now have a voice to go out and reach people who want to work with me. And that's really what it's about. Yeah, I totally agree. My my father used to tell me the same. He used to say, play, play the music until you can buy your own band. And right. that's really kind of my approach, too, is I don't I don't get caught up in how it looks around me. I think the conversation sometimes is healthy because. You know, I'm sure if you follow the smoke, you'll find fire, but I don't think you let that paralyze you either. And that's the point that, that yeah. I was driving at earlier. So, you know, can you share some last thoughts, Angela, on finding a good lawyer as you talk about, you know, regardless of skin color or gender, the importance is finding a good lawyer as, you know, business people are listening to this podcast. 
uh, what does that look like? How do I do that? If I'm, if I had absolutely no clue on how to even start, you're like, well, start, start with me, pre share, share the website. That that's one approach, but what what's some other steps that I could take to find a good lawyer? You know, the the legal business is heavily a referral based business. You know, I do a lot of writing, uh, I do a lot of speaking, uh, but I will tell you that as with probably many other types of businesses, uh, a lot of my clients do come from referrals, and so I would probably say start with if you're not going to start with me, I would say start with someone that you trust. And say, hey, I'm looking for a great fill in the blank. I'm looking for a great uh, securities attorney or I'm looking for a great trademark attorney. I'm, you know, I'm looking for a great attorney and then get their referral and their recommendation. And I would suggest you maybe even ask around some more. And then once you have your short list, you know, snoop around, go to their website, uh, ask them for a free uh, consult. You know, I give people, uh, you know, 15 minutes free consults to talk to me about kind of what they have going on. And that's going to probably be your best approach to finding a good attorney, because even though I have a, a what I'd like to think of as a pretty good presence out there, um, you're really not going to, you know, you're going to be spending thousands of dollars. So get that referral, make contact with that person, and then, you know, go for it. And understand that good representation is not going to be free. Mm. That is just the, the way life goes, right? If you want good representation, I always tell people you get what you pay for. Totally. So, you know, get get the get the legal uh, support that you can afford and, you know, try and form a good relationship with that person and they'll be down with you throughout. Oh, man, you get what you pay for. I, I wish I had time to tell you a moving story, but I, I'm just not going to do it right now. So what so, Angela, what can we look for from you in the future, maybe in the next year? What are some things that you're working on today? What What are some goals and plans you have upcoming here? Well, one of the things I really am uh, intent on doing is getting the word out to more uh entrepreneurs, more uh, science and technology startups, how important intellectual property is for your longevity. Uh, and so I'm hoping to do a lot more writing. I'm hoping to get some more visibility there. Uh, and I'm also hoping to launch an online learning uh, platform called Bodacious. And it's really all about uh, what I call the legal secrets to have a more bodacious business. Mm. And uh, be on the lookout for that. I'm really excited about that. We launched this brand last year. We just got a, a trademark registration on it. And so we're looking to move forward and building that brand out and reaching more more people. Wow, that's super cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I'm trying to get people to realize that, you know, if you can spend time doing uh, thinking about nine things, you know, as you launch your business, as you grow your business, you're going to be much better off when it comes time to sell your business or get investors. So uh, I definitely travel around. I was in uh, uh, North Carolina, in fact, last year giving this talk. I've done this talk locally. Uh, I've been on podcasts talking about this. And I'm I'm hoping to change the world one bodacious business at a time. I love it. I love it. So share everything, Angela. Share your Twitter. Share your LinkedIn. If people do want to start working with you, how can they connect with you? What what are the steps they can take? They can definitely uh, reach out to me on my website. There's a chat feature there. Uh, we also have a pretty strong presence uh, in social media at Precip IP. That's our handle on Instagram as well as Twitter. And um, there's always the opportunity to just shoot me an email if you've got any questions or you want to set up a consult. Uh, 
precipiceip.com. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Angela. You're so gracious. I really do appreciate the time. My pleasure. This has been so much fun. Hey, guys, I hope you got something out of today's interview. Angela just came with the information. She was chock full of it. I had no idea that Tesla had an open IP. It's really cool. It's open for the public. I believe with her that it's meant for other people to kind of build on top of it. So it's interesting to see what what we can all bring to the game. So this was a great interview. Hopefully we, we kind of reevaluate our businesses a little bit. And if you're not already doing it, taking the extra step to protect our business. I think Angela is an amazing person to start with. I can hear that she really loves and has a passion for the space. So hopefully you guys took that away as well. Please go on iTunes, leave us feedback, five stars. Appreciate your support so much. And until next Sunday when the new podcast comes out, see you then. I'm the best ever. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. (laughs)